Welcome back to episode 6 of Between Giants. I'm your host, Gabriel, with my esteemed co-host, Ishmael. What's up? It's me, Ish, you know, doing the doing the same thing I do every week with this guy, talking. And this time we've got two fresh new topics, straight off the dome piece. Right off the packaging, no preservatives. And we're going to start off with Ishmael this time, so why don't you go ahead? Dude, I want to talk about something that I love. I want to talk about comedy. Okay. And uh, I want to talk about comedy through two things. Um, and feel free to bring up any type of comedy, any people in comedy, any shows in comedy. But I just want to start with the reference point of two of my favorite shows. Rick and Morty and the Eric Andre show. Um, <laughs> both of them very similar veins. Um, uh, two different types. One is animation. For those that don't know Rick and Morty, it's a parody of uh, Doc and Marty from Back to the Future. Except no time travel, it's interdimensional travel, and uh, it's it's an absurd relationship, an absurd circumstance. It's it has a narrative arc that lasts the whole season, but every episode is also its own um, package story. And uh, season three, I believe, just came out, and I watched it. And their April Fool's prank was to actually air it on April Fools, and people don't really understand it. But what's really interesting is. Um, and I'll just bring this up for anybody that wants Easter eggs. Um, Mr. Poopy Butthole, who's one of the characters that's like maybe not real, and it, but it turns out it is real, at the end of season two says, tune in to Rick and Morty um, in about like a year and a half as a, and like while crying as a joke. But April 1st is an exact year and a half to when he said that. Wow. So it's actually really funny that they did that. <laughs> um, but... To give you a, I mean, Mr. Poopy Butthole and like, a, you know, a giant space seed that you have to put in your butthole to get through the Galactic Federation. This is the type of show that we're dealing with. And uh, it's one of my favorite shows because it's so funny and thoughtful and, and it allows you to be intelligent and complicated and doesn't tell you everything. And I want to talk about Eric, Eric Andre a bit because Eric Andre is a revolutionary comedian because he is an absurdist. Mm. Um, I, I want to talk really about his interviews because he tortures he tortures <laughs> his guests because he it's not about them he's subverting the talk show interview and it's not really about them anymore and it's about how he's gonna fuck with these people and it's really interesting <laughs> um, he'll let rats out in the middle of the interview he, and the interviews last 45 minutes and he only cuts them up into two minute segments so it's like we see the most absurd of the absurd people walk off people get angry you can tell that they don't understand what's a joke and what isn't with Eric Andre. And I think in a world where comedy is so predictable, these shows stand out in their absurdness. They stand out in in their non-cookie-cutter formula. It helps that both of them are adult swim shows, which has been, I think, as uh, if you remember Newgrounds for yeah. animation was like where these animation, like new animators started to come up and like, People from on Cartoon Network started in Newgrounds Adventure Time. That that artist started in Newgrounds, but uh, really, what it is is it's it's these animators given autonomy of their work. No, no longer does the network have to control everything. Um, and I, I give reverence to South Park for and even Family Guy for starting this like raunchy comedies um, in animation. And of course, there's other comedians who Eric Andre look up to, like Richard Pryor. Um, but it's something about the way they do absurd, those shows, that it just takes you on a trip. Um, so, yeah, I just want to start with that before I go more into into either of those or anything else. But um, I have tons of, you know, I love comedy. Yeah. I watch all the time. So, yeah, go for it. Um, I love the Eric Andre show, and I have unfortunately never seen Rick and Morty. What? Okay, you got to binge watch. You're going to love it. Okay. Keep going. It's worth a watch. You would actually really like I it. Know. I know. I know people talk about it all the time, but I just I don't know, I just haven't watched it. Yeah. Uh, but the Eric Andre one is so funny. The the Jack Black one stands out in my mind. Oh, man. It's Jack Black hilarious. freaked out. Yeah. It's so funny. And, like, Jack Black himself is an absurd man. Yeah. So to really break his character and, like, freak him out is a lot, you know? Him, him and Hannibal Burris are a great duo. Oh, they just man. work off each other so well. Oh, I think uh, Eric Andre put it well in an interview. Somebody told him that the reason his show works is because Eric Andre and Hannibal Buress could not be more opposite black men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Hannibal Buress is is not serious, but he like 
he says what we think kind of on the show and like he, he's like what the he's like also like what the hell is going on but also his own form of like un, non-understandable yeah, nonsense, yeah. nonsense but like more mellow non-understandable like he says things that are weird or like does like stands there weirdly behind the guest you know <laughs> whereas like andre is just a force um even <laughs> in, even in like real life yeah if in an interview if you're in, like i've watched a bunch of eric andre interviews and he takes over the interview. It's impo- like it's just he's not. I imagine if you're in on it, he's the easy guy to work with. If you're not in on it, <laughs> it's probably the worst day of your work. Hannibal probably has the best job on that show. Oh, oh, hands down. And uh, I mean, I can talk about clips and real segments and like even the pranks he does on the streets. But it's really, really impressive work um, from For a sure. comedy perspective. For sure. Because, and people give it a bad rap. Same thing with Rick and Morty. People give it a bad rap because it's like, oh, 13-year-olds watch this. It's like on Adult Swim. And, like, everybody knows Adult Swim is, like, where, you know, how yeah. we used to watch things. But, like, it needs its respect. These shows are quality shows. And the reason they're on Adult Swim is because Adult Swim is one of the only things. Only, I don't, it's not a network. It's the only, it's the only airing place because it's a subsidiary of Cartoon yeah. Network. But it's the only airing space that will allow this type of show. And, I mean, Comedy Central is good at doing things like that, too. But, you know, I think South Park takes that slot. So they can't really have another one. Um, it'll compete with South Park in some sense, even though they're not the same shows. It, it's almost competition for that. So I, it's very much, to me, feels like Adult Swim is at the forefront of animation and comedy. And, uh, and I think young comedians and young animators are really tapping into that potential that's not discrediting like other amazing Mm -hmm. performers i love louis ck he's another one of my favorites but it's just different when i watch eric andre it just doesn't make any sense but then at the at the end of the day i know what i'm getting into you know um but what do you think about comedy in general and and the absurd i want i really want to talk about the absurd in sometimes because right absurdity is when a joke is when a punch is there's a setup. Yeah. You set up, and the punchline is subverting your setup's intention. And the laughing is essentially dealing with the the realization that your your logical process was wrong, subverting your intention. That's funny. Our body reacts with laughing. Um, but absurd is even more hard to to break down. Absurd is subverting the joke to some extent. To, to, for example, instead of bantering with the interviewee, like maybe Jimmy Fallon will do, mm-hmm. the interviewee is not the point. The joke is the point. And it's, the joke is the whole thing. Like, the whole show yeah. is the joke, which is, like, really interesting versus, like, they don't do it for the 15-second clip. They mm-hmm. do it for the, the whole experience, the two-minute interview that you know is much longer, you know? Well, yeah, I'll let you t- take the floor on this. Um, I think you were really hitting something when you said that, like, these these shows are, like, really breaking out of the cookie-cutter formula. Because I think that's when comedy is at its best, is when it's... Like, I, th- I think you said you were right, it's that subversion of expectations. Yeah. Like, the latest La Louis C.K. stand-up on Netflix, I think it's 2017 or something mm, like that. 20, yeah, it's 2017. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I watched it, and it was, I mean, it was pretty good overall. But my favorite, my favorite part uh, that had me laughing for, like, five minutes straight... Was when he's talking about uh, his daughter is talking to him about the uh, Achilles. Yeah, story. yeah, yeah. He's like, <laughs> why didn't they just dip him again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like everybody says, he's like, oh, you know, it's. I I was kind of expecting like, oh, why didn't they just dip him again? I thought he was gonna make some kind of joke out of that, but he totally flipped that story on its head, and he was like, to me as a parent, I read the story <laughs> and I say. Nothing this mom can do is good enough. <laughs> yeah, <so laughs> she true. put her son in totally invincible like water and except for his ankle and mm-hmm. he couldn't he couldn't like protect his ankle. Mom, you forgot my ankle. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. he was like, just wear a big shoe, you know? But instead he goes out and wears sandals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then gets <laughs> gets her to me that was so funny to me because I had been so used to Hearing the same thing over and over about the story. Yeah. I'm all, oh, I, you know, it's, mom is dumb for not dipping in the water. But then I think about it, it's like, wait, he's got a point here. Mom did like mad work for this kid. Mad yeah, work for yeah. this kid, and he like couldn't keep it together. And 
and uh, to Louis's point, he didn't even. This wasn't even a joke. Yeah. But a lot of the marketing for this 2017 special was that he was wearing a suit, which is the opposite of what Louis C.K. has done for years. <laughs> he wears a black dirty shirt. Yeah. And jeans. When we saw him that time yeah, together, yeah, we he was wearing a black dirty shirt and jeans, and that was his thing. And so he wore a suit. And that was kind of like the whole marketing for this, this thing. And it was subtle, but very intentional because I think he's very smart and he's good at subverting your ideas. So he knew that people were expecting something of him and he subverted that. And it was, it was funny that he was wearing a suit for some reason, but it, it was just a suit, you know? It's, it's really interesting how, how that happens. But to that point, you, really, you, can only, you can only subvert with the same formula for so long. Yeah. Um, by that I mean reverential comedians know when to pull out um, they know when to say this is done I've had my run um, for example two great shows uh, Key and Peele mm-hmm. and both of them amazing comedians and then you have uh, the Kroll show I don't know if you've ever seen that Nick Kroll no. is hilarious I think he's he's with uh, Amy Poehler now um, or they were at some point Yeah. but uh He's Nick Crow is hilarious. Key and Peele are hilarious, and they both ended their shows knowing that this was the time to end. Um, and it makes sense. I mean, you don't. I think the ratings in Key and Peele were were going down, but they were they were still high. Like for Comedy Central, Crow Show was still high, but they wanted to have that be their work on that and accept it. This is what Key and Peele was. We don't need to keep going. We can be funny elsewhere. We can do other things elsewhere. And I think that's. It's hard to pull off, you know? Because when you're making money as a, as a comedian or an actor or anything in the arts, you just want to keep making money. Why would you change yeah. paths? Why would you do something different? And Eric Andre is funny. He's a regular funny. Like, his regular stand-up is also funny. Hannibal Burris is a great stand-up comedian. Dude, I love, I love his stand-up. You know? But why would he only do that? Why not get into the absurd? Why not allow for him to be on the Eric Andre show, you know? And even Rick and Morty, in that sense, you have Dan Harmon, who berates himself all the time because all his shows have gotten canceled. But I loved Community. That was a great show. And he could have made a Community spinoff, mm-hmm. to some sense. Maybe even Netflix serialized it because so many people wanted to watch it. But he didn't. Because he knew he needed to do something new to stay funny. Uh, so, I mean, I, let's just, you can talk about the absurd. We can talk about... Who's your favorite comedian? You know? That's, that's what I want to know. It's kind of, I don't know, hard. I feel like, um, I like comedians and I sort of watch them. Um, but I don't, like, build strong opinions. But if I, if I if, you know, put, like, a gun to my head, he was like, favorite comedian or I'd kill you. Uh, I think probably Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. How did you feel about his last two specials? Um, they were really good. I really liked it. The, the first, the second special was, like, really, really funny. The first special was, um really interesting because it felt like there were certain points you know he was telling jokes and he was like going through his narrative but it felt points where he was like really talking about his actual experience oh 100% and he was like and I was like I I found it I was like taken aback because I was like that kind of like that level of frankness is something that I don't usually see from yeah. other comedians when I watch other comedians it feels like they're um I mean, they're doing something smart, which is intentionally exaggerating certain parts yeah, of the story. Yeah, character work, in some yeah. sense. And, but Dave Chappelle sometimes is like, sometimes the funniest thing is like, fucking the weird shit that happens in life. Like, yeah. for real. Like, there's no, like, no, you don't need to exaggerate here. Sometimes the con- that contrast of like, this is like actually happened. My life is weird sometimes. It's yeah. like, that's even, that's even better than like, hearing you do some silly voice about this person you met on the street. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a great observational comedian back in his heyday. And even he knew... He needed to get out of the game. Um, he had his own reasons. Sure, the but, Chappelle show. Yeah, the Chappelle show was the best show on comedy. Central Some of the was there. funniest things have come you out know, of the Chappelle show. And it, it's like even that was absurd. Yeah. In itself, um, absurd for the time, uh, because what's absurd and what's obscene and what's funny these are things that keep changing. Every generation, every culture has its own subversions of, of hilarity has its own jokes has its own th- you know in some in some places some things aren't funny where they are here to us mm-hmm. so it's really 
interesting to look at who's doing the most innovative. Who's doing the thing that's not cookie cutter? I think Broad City, Abby and Alana were doing something completely revolutionary um, on Comedy Central with Broad City. I love that show. I think it's hilarious. Um, and then you have, you know, Hollywood, yeah. who's the, 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 the copy machine of, of uh, great shows, just makes a bunch of versions of that. Yeah. With, uh, I'm not going to call out any shows, but Two Broke Girls is just Broad <laughs> City, you know, except cookie cutter with a set instead yeah. of like real, you know, it's, it's, and like that's, that show's good on its own and it, it doesn't, it's not a bad thing that they come up with their own versions of these shows, but it's definitely like, it's definitely good to see who's, it's a, to recognize somebody in comedy in any art form, but especially in comedy because we take it for granted as an art form. We just, we just assume anybody who's funny can be a comedian yeah. a lot of the time. Uh, but, it's it's important to realize that like there is an art form to it, and some people are doing things that haven't been done or haven't been done in a while or doing it in new ways, um, and I, I just wanted to talk about that for a bit. Uh, your favorite comedian was Dave Chappelle. That's interesting. My favorite is, is Louis C.K. for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think he's he's very astute, very interesting. I did like uh, I think. I really liked Dane Cook when I was a kid. Yeah, me too. And Carlos Mencia when <laughs> yeah, I was a yeah. kid. I can still like recite like half their stand up. Yeah, sometime. I can recite like a lot of Daniel Tosh's stand up. Um, Daniel Tosh is really funny. Yeah, I, although Tosh Point has been running for a long time now. Wait, I don't that's still going on. Yeah, I don't watch it anymore, but <laughs> I definitely know a lot of people watch it and I definitely liked it when I did watch it. That being said, I wanna take it back to an old Comedy Central show. Okay. With somebody who I think whose stand-up specials are better than his show, but even his show was underappreciated. Uh, Dimitri Martin. The guy, if you don't know who he is, he's the guy that he, like, has, like, witty comedy. He can draw with two hands and used to use graphs as jokes and stuff. And and he's, he had, like, one episode. The Important Things was a very, like, interesting show. Like, one episode at the beginning, he, like, had a... He had a drawing of the solar system. And then at the end of the episode... He's sitting in a chair and says, I bet you didn't notice I skipped the planet. And he and, and like he didn't show you that he skipped yeah. the planet. You had to go back <laughs> and see that he skipped, I think, Saturn or something in the solar system. That's and really that was funny. a gag. That was a gag. It was a gag. It was a it was a twenty two minute show and he set up a gag in the beginning of the show that he paid off at the end. And and you can see why that that would yeah. go over a lot of audiences' heads as a as a show format to do things like that. Um but he he's an interesting man. He's very intelligent, very smart man. Um, and he goes unnoticed a lot. But I think he is also a pioneer in like people doing things differently, people taking talents. Yeah, I I think uh, comedy is an interesting thing to me. What are your favorite shows, like comedy shows wise? Um. N- Recently, I've been I've been finding that some of my favorite shows are like they have this sort of weirdness to them, this sort of absurdity to them. Like one show that I watched recently that just like skyrocketed to the top of my favorite list is a uh, I Zombie. Mm. Uh, it's on Netflix, I think. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. It's it's just it's got this right amount of like ridiculousness that's really funny to me. Yeah, um, and I think the I, I mean I, I mean to me I started been thinking about uh, listening to talk about uh, people innovating. Sort of been thinking about like how far like modern humor and you know you've got all these different sorts of media. You got Instagram videos. You got yeah, vines, which well, changed everything. Rest in peace, vine. R.I.P. You know, yeah. pour one out for a vine. Um, and then you know, I'm just thinking like when we were in high school and we were starting Shakespeare humor. Yeah, and right. They, like, we were yeah. talking about the comedies. Like, uh, we we performed in a comedy, uh, yeah. much ado about nothing. Yeah. Um, and Twelfth Night. In Twelfth Night, and uh, well, I was in Twelfth Night. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, there's like, there's so much to draw on from here. Like, Shakespeare, in a lot of ways, like loves making dick jokes. Oh, oh, it's all dick fart jokes and like words that don't exist. Yeah, and so like, like this dude's making up fucking words. Like that, that, that in was its funny. Own way, that was funny back. Yeah, then, that in know? its own way is absurd. So yeah. I think this, this on this observe is 
uh, this uh, absurdity is an envelope that keeps getting pushed. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting to see um, how far it's gone. And it, I, I really like the, the weird stuff. That's interesting. So in some ways you're saying because Shakespeare was absurd at its time, but time has yeah. passed, it normalized that level yeah. of absurdity. It's sort of reversed absurdness in which it's like, it's like old now, so it's absurd in the outdated way. And yeah, not in like and in many way. ways, I mean, those words weren't real. Like yeah. he made a joke by making up a lot of words and it was funny to people then. But it normalized to a, a way that now those words are real and yeah. none of us find it funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know? And that's really interesting to think that one day we'll watch stand-up and it won't be funny. Like, old stand-ups. I mean, I still... I feel that now sometimes. Yeah. I've seen some old stand-ups where it's just like, this is... I know it's supposed to be funny and I want to laugh. Or, like, old TV shows yeah, are yeah. definitely more like that because stand-up is... is mod, like, recorded stand-up is definitely recent. But, like, you watch some old TV shows where you're like, I get it, but, like, <laughs> why is this funny? Why do, is this... do you think there's a, such a thing as, like, a timeless humor? Like, a timeless joke? No, because I think jokes and what you can say in jokes and the boundaries of what are okay in jokes are set by the culture. Um, uh, for example, the things you would see on Comedy Central 15 years ago, I think a lot of it wouldn't fly now. Um, and, and that doesn't mean like we're more censored. I just think we find different things funny. Um, even the things on like, you know, it, it's, it's just a different world per se. And I think an example of that is like, think of like, uh, you know, I, I want to take that back actually. Now that I think about it, I think there are timeless jokes. I think it's hard to pull off a timeless yeah. joke. That's the that's the, that's the caveat. It's very hard to put something that will last. And I think uh, who's on first is a timeless joke. <laughs> um, who's on first? If if okay. you haven't seen it, you can YouTube it. It's uh, it's something Abbott. I, I forget. I used to know these guys off the top of my head. Yeah. But they're very famous comedians, and the joke is that he's asking who is the baseball player on first. But his name is who? Yeah. And then what is on second and and, and when or how or something yeah. how is on third? And he's like, who's on first? Exactly. He's like, so when who gets paid, they he cashes the check to... When he gets paid, he cashes the check to whose bank account? And he says, naturally. And it's just like... You know, <laughs> And then the guy goes, what? And he's like, no, he's on second. Like, you, know? <laughs> you know, so like... You're right. I, I, think, you're, I think you're right. That's the timeless You know, and they use sure. that in Rush Hour. And yeah. like, you know, even Austin Powers used it where like, um, there was the, the Asian twins he was hooking up with. Uh, his name was like, uh, fuck you or something fuck, like fuck, that. Fuck you, fuck, fuck you. me, fuck you, fuck me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, that was a little play. I think jokes like that, I think who's on first started it and that's timeless. Um... And yeah, I think I don't want even, I don't want to get into knock knock jokes and things like that. Those are those aren't just, that, that's not the comedy we're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah. But I think who's on first is an example. And I have to think about other examples of comedies that are timeless. But I think that's that's definitely one of them. I think it stands out as something that its delivery might be needing adapt yeah, adaptation, yeah. which it does in these movies all the time. Uh, but the concept. Of, of why that's funny stands the test of time. I, th I, th I think you might be right on that one. Yeah, so I think, that's the, I think that's the big caveat. You know, It's the delivery that might have to change a little bit uh, because when you do watch Abbott and Costello, that's mm -hmm. Who's On First by Abbott Costello, YouTube that. When you do watch it, it does feel a little dated, but it's still funny. But if you, you know, a little updating and it, it'd probably be hilarious again. Um, but... That being said, when a joke finally becomes timeless, it becomes redundant. So, so now when you hear that type of joke, you're like, all right, I, like we all know, you have to like be more creative with it and play on it. That's why Fuck You and Fuck Me was funny because it took it to another level. It's not yeah. who and what and when and, you know, now it's like, fuck you and fuck me. That's like another level yeah. of comedy. Um, yeah, that's, that's a joke I think that's timeless. Yeah. You have any, anything else to add about comedy? Um, no. Yeah, neither do I, I think. I just, you know, I think we need to appreciate our stand-up comedians more. I think it's a hard job that they do. For sure. Uh, and it, it's, it's the level of acting, and it's to the level of uh, performing music. 
It's a crafted skill. And, and only a few get the glory they deserve. A lot, a lot of more stand-up comedians should be very prominent in culture. But anyway, uh, I think that's my topic, dude. I got my, my comedy Eric Andre stuff out. Great. Um, so uh, I guess I want to talk a little bit about mm, algorithms. <laughs> algorithms. All right, I know I know quite a bit about algorithms. Um, I think uh, specifically other algorithms that you feel you can use in your life. Okay, um, that's a different thing. Yeah. Um, read this great book called uh, "Algorithms to Live By" mm-hmm. by people. Uh, <laughs> um, it's a running really joke now. It's a running joke names, now that yeah. I just don't know authors' names. Yeah, can that just be a thing we do now? Okay. I know we said we'd fix it last week, but let's just leave it. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so uh, let me ask you, uh, so in case you don't know, an algorithm is just sort of an equation that you sort of do over and over again. Yeah, I describe it as like a, an algorithm is a process, a patterned yeah. process that you can describe. I mean, an algorithm doesn't have to be described in numbers, but its, it's most common form is a numeric algorithm. Um, because if it's not numeric, it's probably just a it's a pattern. Like we just call yeah. that a pattern, uh, or a pro- or like a, a step by step guide. So right. think of like if you can quantify a process, that's an algorithm. Um, so imagine uh, you know you're a big boss at your firm. You know you've made it now. You got money, um, and you want to thank your friends over at uh, Between Giants for helping you. So send us money. Um, <laughs> uh, somehow. Um, but imagine you're trying to hire a secretary. Got it. Um, how do you go about hiring the best secretary? What What would be your thought and uh, your initial thoughts on how to do that? Well, if I'm a somebody who doesn't know about algorithms, I would just post on, you know, LinkedIn, Craigslist, um, anything else I can find. I know way up and stuff like that. Basically, wherever people are hiring, I'd sign up. So, say you've got 20 applicants. Got it. Um, and you're meeting 20. them over the uh, next few days. How do you... And you want your secretary as soon as possible. You know, you, you want the best secretary out of all of these. Um, yeah, I see where you're going on this. I mean, I, part of my current job is I hire people to do things. Yeah. So, it is definitely difficult to pick who's the best. Um because you really don't know. And I've made, I've made wrong choices before because, I mean, there's just no real way. Uh, impressions are everything, but your impressions can be fatally wrong because people can lie. And and I, I just can't... I, I'm thinking back on all the people I've signed up and put on board with where I work, and it's just... It kind of feels like a toss-up sometimes when I do it <laughs> myself, you know? So, so I'm really interested in what you're So what if this. I could tell you there's an algorithm that could help you do this in the ma- in the mathematically proven way that's the most effective? The, the, do you have the highest chance of hiring the best person? Tell me about Not it. Not guaranteed. Remember, this is all probabilities. And this, this is the thing about, um, I think what I'm going to discussing is that you find that a lot of things are not guaranteed, especially we don't have perfect information. Yeah, of course. Um, even, even with perfect information, it can be really hard to do stuff. So... Um, the sort of basic strategy is that if you have 20 applicants, what you want to do is that, I mean, this sounds kind of harsh, but the first 10 applicants, you're just not going to hire. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. But you are going to decide of those 10 applicants, which is the best. You're going to mm-hmm. look at those applications and say, okay, out of these 10 applicants, this guy's the best. And then what you're going to do is that you're going to look at your next, the next incoming application. Use the first one. The first person who's better than that person, the, the, than the first sample size, Got is going to be your most likely candidate for best secretary. Jeez. I uh, see what you're saying. And if there isn't someone that's better, you keep that person as a baseline until there's nobody and maybe you hire that yeah, person. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a very simple strategy. And uh, you know, honestly, the, the numbers are really hard for me to remember. I but, mean, the details don't. But, you know, this is a stri- This is, I mean, this is a process, an algorithm that can help you find the best secretary. And you can apply this to a lot of things. Yeah. Say, um, how do you find your best partner? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you know that the person you're with right now is the, you know, the best person you can be with? 
uh, and you know you could spend your whole life waiting for the right person but what if you want the best chance uh, you could apply this similarly uh, to say for the next uh, instead of doing it by the number of people you meet for the next like five years um, say you're just going to decide I'm not going to marry these people Yeah. Um, but out of these last few years who's been my best partner um, and then the next person that's the better than that partner was that's the person you marry and I mean the numbers on this are kind of ridiculous uh, because this is assuming you don't have perfect information right this is this yeah, is and, and it, this is like um, it, assumes, it assumes completely uh, homo economicus type level of decision making which isn't always true but it is an algorithm and it, it can be used anyway. yeah um, I think if I remember the if I remember correctly this is still only like not even a 50% chance that you find the best person. Interesting. And that's really or that's really hard to come to terms with that this is for sure the best method of getting the perfect secretary, of getting the perfect life partner. And still, 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 you can't really get numbers that you would feel happy with. Yeah. It's kind of mind-blowing. Uh, and that's the thing that I really liked about this book. It goes like, it's like, well, you know, life and these decisions are hard yeah and uh i kind of found comfort in knowing that you know we can we can quote unquote solve these problems but maybe the answer we're so happy with the answer yeah that's so tr i mean i'll i'll hit you with something like that because as you know i'm a political science major and i specialize in game theory which is essentially um not algorithms per se but is is optimization yeah. and senses and we go into other things but there are two books by the same person, one of my professors who's kind of the head of this field in game theory. Uh, he, it's a book called Game Theory in the Humanities and The Win-Win Strategy. Two bit, two books by Stephen J. Brahms. And oh, you can't say author's name. On this sorry, two books by, I can't remember his name, my professor's name. <laughs> um, but uh, I got to say, man, it, it's really interesting. What So uh, for people that are listening, and this might sound interesting... And you might disagree with this, but it took us a whole class to get to a couple classes to get over the fact that in game theory, there is no thing as a rationality. Because whatever you want to do, whatever you view as your best option, based off your preferences, because in game theory, you'll pick whatever gives you the, your, if you have preferences, you can do the game theory and the numbers will work out the way the numbers work out. Even if the world thinks it's the wrong decision, your numbers, based off what you want, say that it's the right decision. So it can never be irrational. Um, and that's hard to ra wrap your head around. Um, but uh, take that to the furthest level. You can apply game theory outside of politics, outside of economics, to just life. And uh, actually, uh, my professor, who will be unnamed, has, a, has an algorithm online that's patented that actually shows you the optimal way to get a divorce. To, to break things down by person using the adjusted winner method. And you can do any type of separation agreement with this between companies and stuff. But adjusted winner essentially tells you, it, it assures you that you will get above 50% of the things that you feel you want. While, which, which sounds complicated because mm -hmm. that means if out of a pool of 100%, that means somebody should be getting yeah. less than 50%, but it's not about what you actually get in quantity. It's about how you feel about what you want. So you'll get at least 50% of, uh, and usually it's more, usually it's high. Both of you get like 70 or 80% of what you felt you wanted. And it, it's really interesting because it, it, you break it down essentially into, uh, to, to briefly explain it is, you have categories. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're getting a divorce. You have the house, car, home in Florida, boat, and whatever, other thing. Kids. Wow. You can put kids in this. And it's wow. kind of, it's, it sounds savage, but it's true. Um, and let's, you just, out of 100, you both have 100 points, and you allocate points. Um, and you only have 100, so you have to allocate it based on how important it is in relation to one another. And essentially, going right down the list, you ch without comparing, and, they, and if you try to cheat and like lie about your preferences... It's proven that every time you will do worse for yourself. So you shouldn't lie. Okay. Because that's the biggest problem with divorce. And this is why it's necessary. People have always wanted to spite each other. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm like, she loved the boat. So I'm going to get the boat. <laughs> but like, 
You don't really want the I boat. I didn't want the boat because I don't want the Florida house. And what the hell am I going to do with a boat in the middle of, like, in the middle of, like, New Mexico? Like, you yeah, know, it's, yeah. it's useless. So, instead, it gets bite aside, which is hard to do in a divorce, in yeah, a lot of okay. divorces. But you can break it down, break, put your, allocate your points out of 100, uh, comparing it to one another, then compare those points. Whoever put the highest in whichever field gets what they want right off the bat. Then you calculate how many points they got. And if it's not equitable, you do an adjusted winner strategy. So, for example, you get the closest thing that you guys had. So let's say, for example, if it's not a good that you can break apart, like the kids, or the summer house, you'll say, okay, so let's say you had this much points in summer house and I had this much and it was the closest in the list. We take that fraction since you won it, you'll allocate the fractional amount of points that we calculated using an equation, the adjusted winner equation, back to me. Essentially meaning that we've calculated that you can have the summer house for this many months and I'll have it for three months in the year. That's how the calculate. Or like you can have the kids on Monday through Thursday and I'll have it on Friday through Sunday. And uh, it turns out that you will definitely have the optimal amount of what you wanted doing it that way. The hard part is getting people to do it that way. <laughs> so, I mean, algorithms are really helpful, but it's a, it's a question of can we live our lives in a way that it's... Can we dictate our lives by numbers? Um, and I'm on the side that says you can you can take it into account, but you can't live that way. I th- the, the book addresses, too, is talking about there are some situations in which the algorithm will tell you to do something but just closely examining it will tell you that this is nonsense. Take something as simple as a bet. Say you have $10 and I tell you that uh, I flip this coin and if it lands <laughs> yeah. on heads, I triple the amount of money you have. Yeah. Based on the expected value of this, you have a 50% chance to triple your money. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you, if, you, if you presented this to a computer, a computer would say like, yes, always do this. Mm-hmm. But your event, so if you lose, so if you win... Um, triple your money if you lose i get you lose zero money exactly you going through this algorithm you would basically eventually go broke every single time yeah without fail because mm-hmm. you, you will land on the other 50 percent yeah exactly eventually but the algorithm will tell you to always go yeah so it, it's you know you can you can like twist things around to to put algorithms in that sort of uh, funny situation but uh but yeah i, I don't know i, I think I think there's a lot of value to be gained from looking at things algorithmically. Like, uh, uh, let me see. Uh, when they were making computers, mm-hmm. um, basically the there was a, a big problem. Um, so, if you don't know about computers, uh, when you send, uh, if you're watching, if you're watching a YouTube video, or if you're listening to us from your computer. Uh, you are sending a signal to some server, mm-hmm. and whether it be form of video or sound. Yeah, and you're sending the uh, signal to the server, and basically what needs to happen is something called a handshake, mm-hmm. in which both your computer and basically another computer has to say, uh, "Okay, I know you're here. I know you're here," and they basically do this like three or four times. Yeah, and then then times. information starts going through, and pa- and the information comes in form of packets. Right. Yeah. Um, this. If you think about this in real life, this can be sort of a problem. Imagine you're a general fighting some more, um, and the only way for you to you're you're on opposite sides of you're two generals opposite sides of the river, river, um, and you basically need to both attack at the same time, and you both need to need to know that information immediately. So you send a messenger to the one general, right? And you're like, okay, cool. That general says I will go at this time. In order for you to confirm that, the messenger needs to come back to you, mm-hmm. and you confirm that to go at this time. In order for the other general to te- know... It's just tedious. It's right. Just in, order, in order for that other general to know that you know, yeah. the message needs to come back. Yeah. Um, and maybe this drastic situation, you know, you can't afford the loss of that message. Mm-hmm. Um, but, say, in computers, basically what happens is that they, they accept that loss. They were like, sometimes information will be lost, and this is the only way in which networks can work, mm-hmm. is if we accept that sometimes... We lose quality. You, you, you sometimes messages get lost. Um, and if you're curious about what uh, 
DDoSs are, which is uh, stands for Distributed mm-hmm. Denial of Service Attacks. If you ever heard of DDoS, maybe you've heard on the news like uh, the U.S. service got DDoSed, or maybe like Yahoo stopped working, or something like it's that. It's like the the hacking equivalent of trolling, if you really think yeah, about so it. Yeah. So basically, what what the, what these people do is because every single every interaction, interaction needs it requires a handshake. What these DDoSes do is that they basically force the computer to handshake over and over and over again. And these infinite inter- the infinite handshakes keep the computer or the server from doing what's intended. Because it can't finish, it, it needs to finish the handshakes before any packets can be sent. But if the computer keeps sending signal, if the if the ser- if the server keeps getting handshakes, it's gonna keep giving handshakes. So it's it's a very annoying little server uh, breaker type thing. Um, but but yeah, you know, um, let's take something uh, another way you could think about algorithms. Let's say uh, you're organizing your bookshelf. Yeah. Um, what would be what? Uh, just think right now. What would me? Be how I would do it? Yeah, how would you organize bookshelves? I love organizing bookshelves by color. I think it, it's the best. Okay. Imagine I told you to do it alphabetically. <laughs> okay. So so you have a bunch. You have a stack of books, uh, and you need an empty shelf, and you need to put them alphabetically. Yeah. How would I do it? Yeah. I feel like, I mean, I I I don't know the exact, but given my knowledge of algorithms and game theory, I feel like I do it the wrong way. I just go one by one and put the letters where they go. And I have a feeling that there's definitely a more efficient way to do it. And I think I can figure it out. But before you get into it, I want to say, I still wouldn't do it that way. (laughs) Because there's just something about just whatever. I'm just going to put it alphabetically. And that's, I think, the, 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 it's like, right? There are, like, in war, it's great to work algorithmically. But when I'm, like, doing things for myself, I'm not going to do it. But yeah, talk about that. I want to like, what is the most efficient way to arrange something alphabetically? Okay, so if you do what you did, which is pick out a book at random, and or you know just just the top of the pile, and then start organizing. So say you start with an author that starts with a C, and then you pick up the next book, it's a V, so you put it after the C, and mm-hmm. then next is an A, so you put it before the C, and then you have to move everything around. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, uh, in com- computation, there are these different types of problems, and these are actually a really easy real-world example. Yeah. So imagine that we're trying to measure how much time something takes. For example, uh, say you need to clean your house before a bunch of people come over. Yeah. Um, in this case, the amount of people that come over does not influence how much time it takes you to clean your house. True. There could be 20 people or one person, and it would still take the same amount of time for mm-hmm. you to clean your house. Uh, then let's say... So, so we call that like a linear function. Yes. Right? Because the, the amount of people does not affect the time yeah. in this case. Um, then you have uh, a sort of a, a squared function. Uh, uh, so like x, y equals x squared. Exponential. In which exponential function in which the adding of extra people makes more work. So say, for example, uh, uh, you're, you're having a party with people, you know, cleaned your house this time. Um, and you need to introduce everybody to everybody else as they that's come a good, in. That's a really good example. Um, so when so when first person comes in, you introduce yourself. Second person comes in, you have to do first person and second person. Third person comes in, you have to do first person and second person and the third person. Man, have you ever seen like a, a period piece where they introduce all the guests? <laughs> and here comes the Duke of Wellington and his <laughs> wife, Sir Arasana, and then like they just go off every time and like it's like uh, it should be like half the party just introducing people. So that definitely is a great right. example. Um, and you know, in between uh, linear and exponential, you have li- uh, sorry, exponential and uh, I think it's you have the linear, which is um, you're, you imagine you have to high five every person that comes in the door. It, in this case, it's just the the amount of people who come in is one to one the amount one of time that's happening. Yeah, got it. Um, and you, uh, obviously, the the you want to get to linear as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, an exponential can solve a real problem, and the method in which you, we described earlier, in which you just you know just take them and put them back, That's is actually an exponential. Yeah, it's an exponential yeah. function because every time you take a book, you have to move every other book. Yeah, it's exponential, and that takes time. That, and it, so the more books you get on the bookshelf, the more time it takes to move all the other books. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, there is a genius solution to this, in which you have a natural function so like the the natural log of something mm-hmm. um, which is like it, it, it almost seems it almost seems like this shouldn't work 
but it does. So the natural log function is somewhere in between linear and exponential, yeah. which is why it saves a ridiculous amount of time. Yeah. So instead what you do is that you grab chunks of books. They don't have to be organized. So, so you, what you do is that, say, say you have 20 books to organize. Um, you put them in uh, four groups of five, right? Um, and within those five groups, so you put them in like five separate bins. Yeah. Right. And um, or, I, I forgot what number I said. Let's say four groups of five. It just put matter. them in four just bins. Just groups. Yeah, so, groups. So in those bins, you organize them within those bins. Yeah. Right. So within these little things, they're organized. Then you start putting one in the shelf, and then you start you, you put one bin on the shelf, and then you take the other bin and you organize those in, in between those books. And then you take that the next sense. bin, and then you take organize between those books, and the next bin organize organize between iterations. those books. Working in sense. This turns out to be a significantly easier way to organize your your bookshelf. Sounds like it. But and there's even a competition um, for book or, for like bookshelf organizing. That's hilarious. Um, and they use this method of like they basically have like a mirror belt of books. And it's what's really funny, and and I'll, we'll make this short because we're running short on time. But there's a there's this math competition where essentially then it, it it's been won but this is recent uh the problem was to cut to create an algorithm essentially that cuts a piece of cake into three evenly but there's a thing where when you add game theory it's not just even and i kind of hit on this when i talked about adjusted winner it can't just be equitable and it can't be equal it also has to be envy free when you uh, when you break things down between people, because it can be equal in actual amount, it can be equitable, because we both feel like it's equal, but it has to be envy free because I have to not want your piece. For example, the classic example is let's say we had a half chocolate, half vanilla cake, and you were like, yo, let's just cut it in half and share that. But you didn't know I don't like chocolate, and you, I didn't know you don't like vanilla, so you just cut it half and half, half chocolate, half vanilla on both sides. I don't like chocolate. You don't like vanilla. But now you're stuck with half vanilla and I'm stuck with half chocolate. A quarter of each. Yeah. But I didn't even want that. So if we had done that more intelligently, we would have realized, oh, it's actually better because it's equitable and, and equal, but it's not envy free because I don't want that and you don't want this and I want that <laughs> and you want this. So it's, it's, it's a challenge to do that. Um, but with three people, it's even more of a challenge because it has to be perfectly equitable, envy free and evil. So... You would think, hey, I could just cut this in three pieces, but somebody will always think somebody else's piece is bigger or something like that. And there's an algorithm. It's it's in the book I mentioned earlier that you could figure it out. And it's it's a little complicated of a process, but it entails essentially the first person cuts the first piece but doesn't keep that piece, offers it to other people first. And if anybody says no, if everybody says no, he then keeps that piece. If somebody says yes, they keep it. And it's always essentially you're always cutting for somebody that's not you. So it makes it equitable and envy-free. Um, but the point aside, I'm still not cutting three pieces of cake like that, <laughs> and you're still not arranging your I don't know, shelf man. like I, that. I think, I think there are situations in which the algorithm can create a utopia that is unknown to man. I, I think my favorite example of this is in auctions. You know, if, Ooh, I do, yeah, I know about that. that you know, yeah. if, if you've ever gone to an auction, it, I mean, sometimes... This thing, this thing can get ridiculous. Something that's worth like ten bucks can go up to like uh, hundreds of dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there is like a method in which uh, you can make the price fair, and it's it's almost like I it, think I know of the method. The method there's one type of I think it's called the Japanese auction. Um, this is my favorite. It's a silent okay. auction. You write down the number you're willing to pay, and I I believe. Um, it goes to the person willing to pay the second most. Yes, yes. Which is exactly, really, which is exactly really, which is the most equitable and fair. Which is really wild to me, but it works out every time. Yeah, it. I mean, it drives. You create a system in which you're not. You're not. You don't want to be at the top. You want to be the most reasonable. Mm -hmm. You know, you really want to pay. You really want to write down the number in which you can actually pay. Mm -hmm. uh, and that'll create the most equal system for everybody, the yeah. best chance, and yeah. the most fair price. It's. I mean, the, when I read the book, the book was like, this is like, it's almost too good. Yeah, yeah, strategy. yeah. But then, and see, that's the thing with these algorithms, though. Because if you and me were sitting in a room with other people, and they were like, whoever bids the second most gets it, we would all disagree to that. We would all say, no, we don't want to do that. 
whoever pays the most should it should be a battle it goes against our like intuition which is a lot of problem with these algorithms yeah. and why they work so well in computers because if any's a, if anybody's interested i mean the algorithm you were talking about is is a compression algorithm essentially mm-hmm. it's that's what computer that's what video and and quality, when you hear this on our podcast it's been compressed using a form of an algorithm that you were talking about so it's great for computers but in a lot of our daily lives we suck at making those decisions even <laughs> when we know we should <laughs> So, uh, I mean, to wrap up, I want to challenge you. Um, what is an algorithm that you use daily? Or not daily. What algorithm do you openly use? What algorithm do you take? look at something and go, I'm going to think about this algorithmically? I think, I think the closest I come to thinking about something algorithmically is hmm, probably transportation. Thinking about mm, subways, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to think about the best way to get around. That's so true. I actually agree with that. That's definitely one I, I definitely think algorithmically, especially since we're both New Yorkers. Yeah. Like we break it down to like what cart we should be in. Yeah. To like, so yeah. I actually do that a lot. It's like, yeah. okay, if I'm in the station, that means if I walk this way, I got the least amount of waste. That's exactly. Or like you even like factor in. Do I want to walk more on, while waiting for the train, yeah. or do I want to walk more when I get off the train? And my mm. answer is always while I'm waiting, because I'm waiting. I might as well yeah. walk. Um, I want to be close to the exit, skip the people who are going to be slow on the stairs. Yeah, that's a very that's a very clear point. You brought me back to my old Rubik's cubes days, because those are <laughs> that's just bam bam memorize right, right. algorithms. You got it, you know. Um, yeah, that was a good conversation, man. Yeah, so uh, I guess my you know tell me if you try if you got some books off to organize tell me if you tried the method um but i think that's the other one that's applicable yeah i, I don't know if you're hiring i don't know if like you're a sec if you feel like hiring secretaries let me know if that i works. mean i'm graduating soon so i'm in the job market so i'm definitely gonna <laughs> so don't that. don't be in the first 10 applicants yeah i'll wait i'll wait before i apply. <laughs> <laughs> just a little just a little bit not not the early bird but yeah Great. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Between Giants. We'll be back next time with two new ideas. And until then, uh, I guess I'll see you next time. Yeah, man. Check us out on Stitcher, uh, the iTunes podcast app. And you can listen to us on SoundCloud. Leave a comment. Tell us what you think about algorithms. Tell us what you think about... Uh, anything really like to, you know just just, just tell comedy. us about your day tell I, I want to hear how you're doing tell us what your favorite episode of Rick and Marty was we'll respond um, yeah we, we want the feedback so if you want to write a scathing review or you want to tell us uh, something you like or something we should do better let us know and uh, this has been Between Giants peace play that outro music